Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to the Landry Football Podcast. I am Chris Landry. Back again on Thursday as it's our standard somewhat time at uh, 9 Central on on um, on Thursdays. We've kind of uh, been a little bit of transition with this podcast. Um, not to bore you with the details, but um, we um, we own this podcast, but we, we have in partnership with the folks at Radio Influence, um, and we've broken our relationship with them um, as they were not able to to sell the podcast quite like we, we needed. And um, so we're having to move on and um, unfortunately um, kind of having to start over as um, we are going to be entering an agreement in the process with a new group um, so we want to encourage anyone that's listening to this podcast, if you're catching this through LandryFootball.com, what have you, um, we are going to, to try to continue this podcast. Um, we'll probably be doing it through the folks at Podcast Park in Atlanta, but we certainly are this, the Scout's Eye, the SEC podcast. So we're looking to um, to to grow this and, and obviously take uh, what we did. We want the goal is to get all of you that were um, subscribed through the Radio Influence Group to now sign up for Landry Football's conference call so that we can get you over to this. And then we're certainly going to have you transition in, Ken, one more time to the Podcast Park Group when we have that done. But um, once again, we are, uh, we're excited to be back. I want to get into something today that I think is really interesting, and it's timely, but it as the show name would indicate, it's about um, football. And I'm going to go back to a football coaching search that um, one of many that I've been involved in that um, what happens behind the scenes is a lot different than what's done in public. And the, the genesis of this, those of you that listen to the SEC podcast are aware that SEC football and beyond. We do talk some beyond, and we've talked a lot about the LSU baseball coaching search, which has kind of taken on a life of its own. Those of you who know, uh, I work in football 365 days a year. Um, my expertise in baseball, considered of playing it all the way through high school, 
American Legion ball and was a high school baseball coach as you have to coach multiple sports but I don't work in baseball every day so when when I'm talking about coaching searches it's things that I'm involved in and you can verify both sides which if you can't do that then you're really not accomplishing anything because you really don't know the whole story um, and so on the baseball side of this I, I don't know the baseball people. I know people who know the baseball people, but if you know me, you know, secondhand information is just not really something that I rely on. It's got to be firsthand, and it's got to come firsthand both sides. Um, the LSU baseball coaching search, Scott Woodard is involved in doing that, and it has taken on a life of its own, a lot of speculation, and I think it's interesting because there are some parallels to what has happened recently in the LSU baseball coaching search. Much like the Michigan courting of less miles, quote-unquote, coaching search, football-wise, which I was involved in, and didn't really happen uh, the way that m most media in Baton Rouge thought it did. And again, it's important to understand, first of all, I'm not a media person. So I don't, I have um, respect for what people have to do in the media. They have to get information from people that really don't want to give information out or in some cases like to give it out to kind of act like a big shot but they really don't know. Remember, those who know don't talk. Those who talk don't know. The local media folks have it tougher because local media folks may have some contacts at the school. They should have some contacts of the school of which they cover. But they don't know the other side of the story. So in the coaching search, they don't have, quote-unquote, the same contact for the candidate or somebody at the school. Those things um, are just not the same. So therefore, getting one side of the story, as you know, is not the answer. It's just very, very difficult, which is why most stories are broken by national folks. First of all, people are more willing to talk to national folks because national publicity is better than local publicity. Um, national folks are more inclined to have sources on both sides. The other thing today is we're living in a world where there's a lot more people that are, you know, fake media. People that come on TV, radio, that really have no background, have no journalistic background, have no background in in the game, and really don't know. And But they're trying to get clicks, and they don't really care if they're right or wrong. They just want to get clicks. So it's really important today. It used to be in the old days where if you had information that was put into a journalistic endeavor, you could count upon it because they're not going to it unless it's been sourced several times and resourced and verified and resourced. So when they went with it, you can pretty much 
go to to you know bank on it. In today's world, it's more important to know who you can trust. And and I think that's today's world and 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 it's been that way for a while. And it's just only getting more and more like that where anybody can just go up and have a podcast, no credentials and identifying and knowing people's credentials are really important. And I think that things get out of hand. Um, real quick, I, I will uh, answer this and we'll certainly answer your questions here in the chat room. So feel free to bring them on board as I kind of wave this story. And once I get into it, I kind of want to kind of, kind of relay some of the stuff and we'll get into more stuff. We went on the scouts eye show, um, breaking down the, the offensive schemes of NFL teams. We'll, we'll do that on the defensive side as well. But, but as I, before I advance this story, uh, Tony, he's joined us. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Tony. Been hearing rumors that the Browns gig and Baker may have a long-term contract this summer. Your thoughts on this? Could it happen? Or it's just to get clicks? No, I think there's, there's some legitimate talk. I had it in my notebook yesterday. There's, I think, interest in doing it, but you know, Tony, the interest in doing it is always there for the right price, the right amount of years. So, you, do I think there's just as good of a possibility that they take this into this season and see how well he does this year? Yes, but it depends. It depends on what they're able to get the deal done. The the deal now comes with advantages and risks on both sides. Getting a deal down now, well, you probably you can get a, a a deal done for less money now than it will be at the end of the year. Just the growth rate of the cap when we go back to normal cap is going to be greater. And if he plays well, which you hope he does, if you're the Browns, it's going to cost you more at the end of this year. So it behooves you to get a deal done now if you're the team. If you're the player, in this case, Baker. There's security in getting a deal done now because you don't know what this season will yield in terms of productivity, success on the field. You can, quote-unquote, quote better on yourself. A lot of them do that and, and likely will end up with more money at the end of the year. But if you can get a deal done now and you feel comfortable with it, there's security now, burn the hands better than two in the bush, Right. So there's there's absolutely incentive to do it now, but because they may work at it, look at it, the numbers and the years on will determine whether they can get it done now or whether they have to wait to the end of the year. If, they, if it gets too cost prohibitive, or they feel, not that they can't fit it in, but if they feel like the numbers are too high, or in the case of the player, not enough, well then that's where it becomes we'll get it done at the end of the year. Um, thank you for that question. Appreciate you. And again, we're certainly uh, welcome those. So as we get into the reason for the topic is kind of what's going on in the, the LSU baseball search. There's a lot. And again, I'm not sitting there burning the phone lines, caring about who they hire. But I have a lot of connections with well, the guy that's making the decision, and, and others. And what's interesting about it is that there's often a lot of information that's floated for different reasons. And so the purpose is not just the, this story or the Michigan 
story of a few years ago. That's just an example of what often happens. In the case of um, LSU baseball, in this case, they've got a legendary baseball coach that's still active in the community in Baton Rouge that was pushing for a certain candidate, Mike Bianco, the head coach at Ole Miss, to be the guy. It's one of his former players. Been encouraging the athletic director, Scott Water to go in that direction. Um, and probably in terms of just taking it too far, got his buddies in the media, Skip Bertman did, and ex-players to kind of go forward with the Mike Bianco talk in an effort to kind of sway the public, put public pressure towards Scott to do what he would want him to do. Now, what's really happened is Bianco, Mike Bianco thought he was going to get the job. So he comes in for what he thought was kind of a tidying up of a deal, only to find out it was an interview. And then basically, along with another person that was interviewed, the East Carolina coach, the same day, and has to go back to Ole Miss hat in hand to basically take his name out. You can't go to a rival school interview and he wouldn't have gone ahead and interviewed if he didn't think he was going to get the job. So there were indications to him he thought he was getting the job. He didn't, I don't know how the conversations went. And I don't think the athletic director misled him. Maybe he did. I know Scott. I don't think he did that, but, but I, can't, I can't say that for certain. But Skip Bertman definitely was under the impression that Mike was going to be the guy. To the point where a lot of media folks were running with it. He's the guy. He should be the guy. It should be done by Friday, meaning last Friday. Well, that ended. Now, why did the athletic director do this? In this case, it was a, you're going to go publicly and try to embarrass me to make a move to hire one guy? And you think you're more powerful in your role. Skip Bertman was also the former athletic director after he was a baseball coach. This was a shot across the bow saying, you may be the legendary baseball coach of five national championships. And I certainly respect your opinion. But when you step over the line and try to embarrass me publicly or try to shame me into doing something, then I'm going to strike back. And he struck back by basically emasculating Skip Bertman because Mike Bianco basically thought he was getting the job. He certainly wasn't coming for an interview. He's coming to wrap it up because that's what I think he was under the impression that it was. And so he knows that Skip is not as powerful as he thinks he is. And that ended Mike Bet He took his name out. All perfect for Scott Woodard because that's not who he apparently wanted. If he wanted him, it would have been done. Now, why doesn't he want him? 
that's neither here nor there. He's interviewed some other folks. Now, just kind of get into that. So it, it basically, from an athletic director standpoint, remember, Scott Woodard is not from an athletics background. He's a political background. He understands how to work a room. He understands how to work the PR. He gets it. So no one has to say one way or the other. Mike takes his name out of it, and his hands are washed of it. Now, this reminds me an awful lot of a coaching search that I was involved in. You undoubtedly remember. It was very public, and it came out on ESPN, breaking news. Michigan has offered their coaching job to Les Miles, the LSU coach, on the same day that LSU was playing for the SEC championship game. Pretty big, right? Done deal. I mean, every, it's, hey, everybody's got word on it, right? Didn't happen that way. Just what happened. Michigan had already decided that they were going to hire Brady Hulk. There was a large contingent of boosters, ex-players, Michigan folks, that are very influential and, and very important to the Michigan program, like any other program. They wanted less miles. So, Bill Martin, the athletic director, the president, Mary Sue Coleman, who did not want Les Miles, and I'll tell you the quick story why. Mary Sue Coleman, very, very close to Lloyd Carr. Lloyd Carr was very instrumental, particularly as his grandson, who dealt with an illness and ultimately died, unfortunately, tragically. Lloyd was very instrumental in being a big-time fundraiser for the Children's Hospital at Michigan. And just worshipped Lloyd. And Lloyd Carr had decided that he was a year before. This is the the year that Appalachian State beat him, beat him and all that. That wasn't like, you know, well, because of that, and Lloyd was on it. Lloyd had already told him privately that this was going to be his last year. Didn't come out. Anyway, Lloyd Carr and Les Miles don't get along, mainly because when Les Miles didn't get the Michigan job and Lloyd did, Les was very negative to the Michigan program. He negatively talked about Lloyd Carr, and it got back to the key folks at Michigan. So Les Miles was not popular among the people that were making the decisions at Michigan, but he was popular by all accounts from a lot of the fan base. He was having success at LSU. He had, um, you know, a, a, one of Beauchamp Beckler's guys, and this has taken an awful turn. What an awful year it's been, right, for Les Miles and the stuff that's come out, what happened, what he was involved in at LSU, and now the whole Beauchamp Beckler stuff. I mean, it's, it's been a bad year for, for, ironically, those guys. But back then, a different time and a different perception of what was going on. So... Les Miles, people said Les Miles turned it down, turned it down. Les Miles and his agent, George Bass, was trying to get the Michigan job. George Bass had been trying to reach Bill Martin, 
the athletic director. And he wouldn't return his calls. So, publicly, Bill Martin, Mary Sue Komen, leaked the information to, ironically, a Buckeye, Kurt Herbstreit, who announced that let Michigan made an offer and, you know, and he's re-upped with LSU and all that kind of stuff. It's all a ruse. Didn't make an offer because the people that were empowered to make the offer were not returning the phone calls. Well, that made George Bass and Leswell made him irate because he wanted the job tried to get the job, worked his back channels of his friends to try to get the job, and the powers that be wouldn't return his call. And so he's peeled that they're not returning his call. And then they're going to leak that they made the offer. So what they're, And then eventually, if you remember, on the next go-around, they actually met with Les at a local establishment in Baton Rouge to appease the boosters when they never had any intention of hiring. Now, Les parlay that into more money and more years at LSU, use it for leverage. But the the media report was, I mean, it is taken as gospel. Les Miles was offered the job twice to go to Michigan. He turned down Michigan. He should have taken, never was offered. A lot of people thought he should have been offered. A lot of people wanted him to be offered on Michigan side. Never offered by the people that matters. Only matters to the people that are making the decision. And yes, there are influencers, but in the end, Somebody is empowered that, with that decision, and the prudent folks keep it to themselves. And often throw you off the scent, often plant things through the media, through their own personnel, to A, see who's leaking it, because if you give a false story that's not true, we're thinking, and you kind of leak it in your office and if it ends up then you know where that leak you know who's been there and you might leak something to one guy something to another and then the media will maybe take it and go away and it may go in a direction to where you can track your leaks that's one thing two you also throw people off the scent of what you're doing so um how did i know I wasn't getting information. I just, when they were doing this, they had basically already committed um, to Brady Hoke. Whether you think it was a good move or not, that's where they were going. And we were working on putting the staff together with Brady. So I knew this stuff. What, I mean, what is this? No, no, no. That's, this is, that's, that's, that's for public consumption. And that's, that's not really what's going to happen with less. So anyway... Um, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, is real interesting to understand how coaching searches work. Um, so keep in mind too, and I don't know. Uh, again, in a case of, and I, I confess, I couldn't care less who LSU hires as a baseball coach, and whatever Scott wants to do, he wants to do. But uh, it's interesting to see how some people take the story and uh, everybody, there's no source because there's only one source. I talked with Scott Woodard about a week ago because I was on campus doing some work and 
he I, he mentioned something in passing, and um, I, I, I I don't think he he wasn't going to tell me. I mean, he'd be a fool. Why why would he tell me who what he's going to? He did mention something about Mike Bianco, and yep, Skip's working on it, being a little coy, you know. Yeah, I think that that's what it was. Important. So anyway, that's that. Um, and I think that's interesting, or at least I hope you find interesting just in general that there's a lot that goes on. And because of the world of the information is out there, there's more misinformation than real information. And because information is put out there, I don't know. Now, you know, people will have asked me, you know, even, you know, again, I, I, I will, I'll give my best to answer you know, where is LSU going with the baseball subject? Well, you know, I've had people tell me um, that the Florida guy was going to be the guy. And, I, you know, when I heard that, I, when I had heard that that wasn't going to fly because of the off-the-field stuff. Now, is that truly somebody they were really interested in? He seems like really good credentials. So he's somebody that, at least from a football guy standpoint, a good baseball coach, uh, whether they were seriously interested in him or were was that floated out, don't know. Don't know. Um, you know, there have been a couple other folks that have mentioned. Uh, so I don't know. At this point, here's what I think, and here's what I gather. I think there are a couple of people that they feel like they can get. I mentioned this on another show today, um, that... I think there are two people that they feel that would be good, that they really like. I mean, I think there are more than two, but I think there are two in particular that they like that feel would take the job. And they're, you know, one of them uh, didn't go, didn't make the College World Series, and one of them did and, and, and is already out. So why haven't they hired him? Because I think that Scott Woodard wants to make it run at someone else that's still in and are you know wants to have a chance to sit down and pitch this to someone else and if it doesn't work then he'll go um now is there a risk that those two guys that they like might um because their names out there um might have to re-up with where they are um, I don't know. And, and there's, there's another point. So, look, I, it's what you have to do at this point. Usually, and I think at this point, what you hear is, is different than what's really going on behind the scenes. But, so anyway, we'll see how that plays out. And again, um, uh, let's see, we got a question about, um, let's see, LSU Talk, uh, Kev, uh, it says that, uh, uh, he's tired of Skipper. Well, some people are, and Skip's a legendary figure there, but he's certainly someone that feels like he owns the LSU baseball program, and, you know, I think that's fine. I think that is someone, if he walks into your office and gives his opinion, if you're the athletic director, you you should give that some merit, but you, you when if that person becomes very political and tries to twist your arm or tries to manipulate or embarrass you in the media, that's going too far. Um, Rich Coates asks, um, 
you mentioned last week on the SEC show that you helped uh, Chad, that you helped Chad Marsh trying to get the Ole Miss or the SEC school. What were the, the stories that? No, I didn't help try to help him get the Ole Miss job. Um, he was interested in the Ole Miss job. This was before the Arkansas job came open. He had an interest. He was looking to leave SMU, and he was interested. And um, this was when, um, and, and Neil knows this, Neil called me when, when the, the, the rumors of Ole Miss was going to make a move and coach it. I told him, I said, I, Neil, Ole Miss is, I think, gonna, they're going to stay with Matt Luke. And they did, and, you know, for that year. And then they made the move late. Um, uh, but then the next, it, at that time, he was interested in the old Miss job because most people thought it was going to come open. It didn't come open. I mean, it did, but they decided to stay with Matt Luke, uh, who was the interim who they made um, permanent for the short term. But he was interested. He was looking to make a move. There wasn't really any, um, it, it, you know, he was very interested. He was looking to make a move, um, and he was really trying to feel out. And, you know, we talked, but that just wasn't, um, that time wasn't really there. Told him I thought there would be an opportunity. We even talked about, ironically, that there may be an opportunity in Arkansas in a year, and it was, and that's where he ended up. Um, being from in that SMU in the Dallas area, um, there was a little bit of some um, some key folks folks that he know in the Dallas area that kind of knew Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones kind of Jerry Jones was the key guy that pushed to get Chad Marsh hired. Jerry Jones, an Arkansas grad, pushed to get Chad Marsh hired. Chad, um, I, I, I did not envision Chad being a disaster at Arkansas. That was about as bad uh, of a coaching stint we've seen in a long time in, in the SEC. And I'm shocked that it went that bad. I, I can't say that I thought that he was going to be a, a hit, but I thought he'd recruit better in Texas, and I certainly thought they would change some things up. I think the thing he got caught in is trying to change the dynamic too quick. He only knew his style, spread, attack, and he tried to go from the power stuff into transition was a disaster. So he got off to a bad start and he put himself behind the eight ball and then it just got worse and the culture got worse and the negative, the recruiting affected and then they couldn't, they were losing games outside the league to weak opponents and it wasn't Look, they went a long time before winning a game in the SEC. So there wasn't um, there wasn't a really big big time like story or anything because he never was really in the Ole Miss job <clears throat> consideration. Because, um, well, let me say this: Ole Miss considered going in a different direction, but I said they're. They're going to stay with Matt. And the reason why I said they were going to stay with Matt for that year is because they wanted to get out from under the NCAA stuff. They knew Matt was going to be loyal to the program, and they felt like 
and 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 Chad would have been one that would have been interest interested, but they felt like that the job would be a more appealing a year later once they got out from the NCAA stuff that it would be more appealing than it was at that point. So that was kind of the backstory there. All right, want to get into a couple of things, uh, and again, we'll appreciate your questions and um, your visiting us in the chat room. Uh, I want to get into some of the defensive. Um, uh, we'll break down some of the defensive stuff, and we'll get a little ways, and then we'll go. We'll go into the. Uh, we'll finish it up next week or whenever we can. But we talked a little bit about the offensive schemes in the NFL and who does what, how do they do it, what's their their whole mantra of what they try to do, um, and kind of what they've done and, and maybe what they may be looking to change this year. So we'll kind of like we did with the offensive guys, we'll go with um, – with, um, Alphabetical order, you know, just for no particular reason. Um, the Cardinals last year were a cover one base coverage team with uh, with a lot of, and particularly third down blitz and play a lot of cover one. They're, um, you know, back when Vance Joseph, they were a, a zone cover team and they threw a lot of different zone coverage looks and they'll sprinkle in some man coverage. Um, and he, you know he was successful doing that in Miami a little bit in Denver um, but they he's adjusted and again you know my motto is the ability to be able to sometimes adjust sometimes reverse course if you're married to a system the system will die everybody catches up with the system because systems are constantly evolving and growing like a virus you got to stay on top of it. I hate to throw out the term virus with what we've gone through, but you know how that is. There's strands of the virus. Think of schemes as strands, and they grow and they morph. And then now, what you see um, is they play heavy blitz and play more man coverage behind it. Now, they'll play a lot of cover one on early downs, and they probably play cover one. Um, amongst the top rates in the league this past year. Uh, they were in the top five among blitz teams. But they couldn't get to the quarterback enough. And when you blitz and can't get to the quarterback, it's really bad. They, they were, you know, like in the bottom quarter of the league in pressure rates. And yet they were top five in blitz rate. That's a bad combination. So that needs to improve. Now, Atlanta's been a lot different. Now, their base last year was cover one. <clears throat> That's what they cover one, cover three. Now, Dean Peace is coming in. No longer Dan Quinn's defense as the head coach in Atlanta. Now, with Arthur Smith, the new coordinator, Dean Peace is going to blitz a lot. Uh, he'll send his defense, corner cat blitzes, safety blitzes. He'll bring his defensive backs after the quarterback. Um, he did a lot in Tennessee, and Tennessee's defense fell off quite a bit when he left. So, there, you know, it's something that Arthur believes that he's going to be able to improve a great deal um, this year. We'll see. Baltimore is another base cover one team. 
blitz and play cover one a lot. Um, Wink Martindale going to play a lot of man on the back end. <clears throat> um, going to blitz. They find weaknesses in protection. Probably one of the best rates in the league. They get free rushers. They'll play tight man coverage behind it. Only one team played more man snaps, I think, in the league, if I remember, when I broke it down, um, where one receiver was pressed. Um, so uh, Baltimore has created unblocked pressures on um, a lot more snaps than anybody else in the league. So they get free blitzers better than anybody in the league. Buffalo is another team that's done a good job defensively. Now, they're a <clears throat> cover three team base. They'll sit back, play cover three or cover one. Uh, still, again, single high. Um, and, you know, they still play some too high. but And they'll play quarters coverage pretty high. Um, but Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, former defensive coordinator himself, uh, they're not blitz happy. They're, what they do, and they've been most effective on third downs, is when they don't blitz. Um, they finished in the top ten among um, grading average per play when they don't blitz on third down. They're probably the best third down defense that doesn't blitz. The better third down defenses are more blitz affect the best non-aggressive blitzing third down defense um buffalo so certainly in the in the in the slow uh, in the in the um in the short list carolina uh another cover three team they'll they'll play a cover one they'll use a, a player in the hole that they'll drop in phil snow who's um Matt Rule's defense coordinator came with him from Baylor. Um, they they played a lot of college looks. They played man coverage less by 10% last year, 10-12%. Um, but they, they played more man in third downs. They also used three high safeties at the highest rate. Um, now, in 19, when it was at Baylor, they played base out of a wide 3-4 with multiple safety coverage looks. And it'll be interesting to see um, how they kind of grow and develop into this because I think there's a little bit of an eye-opener of how they can take what they did defensively in Big 12 and in college, and, and it, was, it was tough going. They've tried to revamp, as you know, the last two drafts heavy on defense to try to fix it. Um, that's a that's the biggest thing that they're working on. Um, the Bears. Cover three, quarters coverage. Um, uh, some cover one. They'll play some quarters, uh, as I mentioned. Sean uh, Desai becomes a new defense coordinator. He was... Um, been with the defense for a while. Chuck Pagano had um, a lot of too high pre-snap looks 
um, which Vic Fangio was a big fan of back in his day. And so um, you'll, you'll, you'll see less of that um, and, uh, and, you know, a little bit more um, varied as to what they do. But I still think you'll see some some too high looks with them. But a little more cover one and a little more quarters look. The Bengals <clears throat> have um, cover one, um, third down. They're very big blitzing and playing cover one. Um, they've tried to be a single high team under Lou Aramu. Um, playing a lot of cover one, cover three on third down. They finished the second in the league um, defensive efficiency. Um, problem is they were less stellar on other downs when they tried to do anything else in the back end. Um, without William Jackson, they, you know, I, I think moving more to zone coverage is what they're probably going to do. Um, this was um, it's going to be a transition year, I think, for them from a personnel standpoint. Cleveland Tony's team. They're a, a cover three base team. They'll sit back a lot and play cover three. Um, talking about low blitz rates, Joe Woods is one of the low blitz rate blitzer rates in the league. About twenty percent. There's only, I think, three or four teams that blitz less. They were an average defense last year when without blitzing, um, but they were. A bad defense. They were worse when they did blitz. So, again, they're not really made to play well as they'd like to on the back end from a blitz standpoint. I thought they were a pretty good early down defensive team, but they had trouble getting off the field on third downs. I think the one thing that is important for them to improve upon is their third down defense efficiency. Um, they, they, you know, they, I think it's over 40%, if I remember right, that they, um, allow third down conversions. The Cowboys, another cover three team, of course, Dan Quinn's coming over. Um, he's a cover three guy. Now, he's played a lot of cover one. He's, you know, he's probably played 35, 38% cover one and probably uh, maybe just a tad less of cover three. So he's actually, um, he's probably played about 12, 15% of cover two as a changeup. Um, he's also been more willing to blitz. The blitz rate kind of increased each year, I think, out of necessity. Uh, but that's ideally not what he likes to do. The Broncos, um, Another cover three team, blitz a lot, play cover one, Vic Fangio. Um, they, what he does a lot, particularly on early downs, is play a lot of two high pre-snap. Now, he'll spin down to a single high. Uh, it keeps the quarterbacks honest. There are a lot more coverage variations that they play post-snap. They do an awful lot post-snap, but boy, they are a... The, the pre-snap pitcher is um, the highest two-gap two gap look in the, in the league. Pre-snap, single-high defenses, um, 
can mostly only play cover one and two. Uh, one and three. <clears throat> um, you know, if you look at, if you line up in a cover one or a cover three look, um, you're, you're, it's, it's a lot tougher to get back into too high look post-snap. But, um, so it's why you, if you're going to do it, you're going to give more cover two look, and then, then it's easy to get into cover one or cover three from cover two post-snap. Um, but it's still, a, it's still basically what he does. It's a cover two look <clears throat> that goes into mostly cover three post-snap. Detroit, it's changed. They play a lot of cover one and cover one uh, with a with a whole player there. Um, they moved. They were obviously a super man coverage team that lined up man over forty percent of the time in two thousand nineteen, which is the highest rate in the league <clears throat> for a while. Aaron Glenn um, comes at it a little bit different. He's the new defensive coordinator with the new head coach Dan Campbell. They'll certainly play man coverage, but working under Dennis Allen, multiple coverage looks. A lot of too high pre-snap looks um, with a heavy blitz look on third down. So they played a lot of cover one at a high rate, and I think you'll see them be a little bit more aggressive. How effective? Don't know. We'll see, but they'll be more aggressive on defense on third downs. Green Bay, another cover three, cover one. Joe Barry comes over from the Rams. Um it's it'll um, it, it'll look a little different than Brandon Staley's defense, although they'll have some components to it. Um, I think Joe's kind of his own guy and has some things that'll be a little different. Barry's defenses in Washington were strictly, you know, almost strictly cover one and cover three, with a little bit of cover two mixed in. Um, so you'll see a little bit more variation. The Texans, and then Blitz. Cover one on third down, mainly cover three. Lovey Smith. Um, so you'll see in the cover three, which is really the Tampa two, which is another another variation of three deep, is you get the Mike Backer greater depth down the seam. That's the Tampa two, and that's the difference between the Tampa two and the cover three. Um only three NFL teams played more than 20% of their pass coverage snaps in cover two last season than the Texans. So it's not used as a base defense anymore. Um, now, his teams at Illinois played more cover two than anybody in the country. Um, so you'll see a lot of those components, but variations of it. Um, the Colts are a big sit-back team. They're a cover three team. They sit back in quarter coverage. They base out of cover three. Um they're not a um, that they're not a big um, you know in the quarters they like to sit in a in a one gap four down front without blitzing so they try to penetrate and get upfield and they try to get the four down guys loose and they try to sit back in quarters coverage um, it hasn't been as effective as they had hoped. Um, DeForest Buckner did, hasn't been quite the impact. We'll see if it can go a little bit better. Jacksonville is a uh, is a cover three team as well. Joe Cullen comes over from Baltimore where we're going to see a little bit more man stuff.
but they ran a lot of cover three last year. I think they'll be a little bit more multiple in their coverages and definitely in their blitz look. Uh, and I think you'll see the safeties like Wilson and Jenkins become more of a factor in it. The Chiefs, um, well, they blitz and play cover zero or cover one a lot because they're very aggressive. They're very aggressive because their offense can score a lot of points and they're willing to take chances and get extra possessions. Cover one and quarters coverage is what they do. That's what Steve Spagnuolo has done an awful lot in Kansas City. He is um, He does a lot. Uh, Spags does with a lot of coverage rotations. Um, he plays a, a lot of too high coverages. Um, plays some cover four, some cover six, some cover one, um, and a lot of quarters. So uh, really aggressive on third downs. Um, he took the opposing offenses off the field about 68% of the time um, on third downs. With that, with that particular aggressive third down blitz package. That's pretty good. Uh, the Raiders, a cover one team defensively. Gus Bradley comes in, they're going to be more cover three. Um, and then they're going to play even more cover three. And, you know, that's, that's what they do. That's what Gus does. He's played cover three uh, more than anybody, even more than... Um, um, uh, than, than Dan Quinn does. The Chargers. Brandon Staley comes in. Defensive guy. Cover three. Third down, cover one, cover three. Um, it's a it's an aggressive type of... Kind of what a lot of what's done with college with some mixed-in Vic Fangio stuff. Uh, they show... He also, like Vic... Uh, was as I was explaining what Vic does, runs a lot of too high shell before spinning it into cover three. Um, but they use a tight front. They're like three defensive linemen packed between the offensive tackles to force the carry to the outside more than any coach. So they'll reduce their front, uh, which is, again, more college-centric, and try to work the speed to the edges and force you to go outside. Um, now, Staley will play the nickelback outside the slot receivers in quarters, despite the fact that most teams will use that player inside so it can be a part of the run fit. So this lightens the box a little bit. So you can, when they're in nickel, um, they're a little bit more susceptible to run than most um, because the safety to that side often has to get into the run fits, but the Rams defense, really, uh, if you've got a guy that can cross-face pretty quickly, you can get away with it, but he's really got to work to get into the run game. Um, the Rams, again, uh, quarters coverage is their base, blitz and, and play cover three um, under Brandon Staley, under Raheem Morris. Um, it's going to be um, quite a different look, and I'm, I'm curious to see what the, the tight front is not something that Raheem Morris has done in his past steps. We'll see. Uh, in Atlanta, he ran the odd front, the bare front, um, the 3-4. He runs a lot of different things. He will likely use Jalen Ramsey in a multitude of ways, and it's probably what I'm most curious about, where does he move him around? 
How much in nickel? Um, where does he line him up in nickel? Um, the rate of snaps at outside corner dropped a little bit for Ramsey from 19 to 20. Um, and Atlanta, Morris played a lot more static cover three and cover one because that's what, um, well, A, it's what Dan Quinn liked, and it's what Ramsey was comfortable doing in Jacksonville. He played like over 80% of his snaps in cover one or cover three in Jacksonville. So I... Uh, he plays a nickel or slot corner quite a bit, and I'm curious to see how they play him. Um, the Dolphins, cover one, blitzing cover three, uh, blitzing cover one, cover zero. Uh, Flores is going to try to play as much man coverage as possible. Um, they were more aggressive than New England blitzing last year. Uh, they played a lot of cover zero, man coverage. Defense doesn't stop coming, even in those situations. So he's taken taken a page in that regard. The Vikings, um, lots of third down blitz, a lot of cover three, a lot of cover two. Um, you know, everybody talks about Mike Zimmer being the blitz happy guy, but on early down, he is a sit back guy. He plays cover three about 25, 28 percent of the time, cover two about 25 percent of the time while showing man coverage about 15% of the time on early downs. Could change with Patrick Peterson, depending on how well Patrick can still cover deep. Um, but I don't think he's going to change a whole lot from his own. In fact, I think they're bringing in Pete with the idea that, you know, playing a lot of pattern match out of his own looks with, with man principles, that Pete may be even more effective. We'll see. Um they're about average in blitz rates on third in blitz rate on third down, and again below average on early downs. New England um, cover three, uh, cover one uh, uh, as well, an awful lot. Just checking the time here, and I got, we got a little time. Um, they um, they'll sell the house, you know. At, at about 15% of the time, cover zero. Uh, and, and that's the you know top five in the league doing that. Their base cover switch from cover one to cover three, which is a big shift, shift for them. Uh, and it's been um, a base look for, for about three years now. The Saints, um, Dennis Allen, has put together a pretty good unit. They play a lot of different coverages, mainly cover three in base, blitzing cover one on third down, um, they start in a in a two high and then rotate down. A lot of zones. The best facet of the defense is uh, the fifty or sixty fronts that are used in third down to confuse the offensive lines and the quarterbacks. The pressure rate on third down was second best in the league last year. So they really can manufacture some pressure. Do a really good job with that. The Giants uh, sit back and play a lot of cover three and cover one, particularly on third down. Um, some cover two. Uh, it was um, Patrick Graham um, uh, last year did a pretty solid job, but um, they produced a lot of negative plays, and that was pretty effective for them. The third down defense improved quite a bit. Um, they cut down on some blitzes, played less cover one. The um, Third down rate dropping by 11%, um, but 
he he's sitting he sits in a lot of zone coverage and lets let the play goes and uh, go in front of him. The Jets obviously are going to change. Um, they have been a predominantly cover two with a heavy blitz factor on third downs. Robert Sala's scheme is heavy blitzing on third down, so that'll stay the same. But he'll sit too high on early downs, uh, and sometimes on third downs, uh, third and long, he'll sit in um, in, in cover two. Um, they did a lot of that in his defense in, in San Francisco. Um, they play a lot of zone on early downs, a lot of cover one. Um, it's a it's a good mixture. What they're able to execute is going to be the key here. So don't necessarily think they're going to, you're going to get the full Niner package there. What you're going to get is uh, what they can run. The Eagles uh, run a lot of cover one. Um, Jonathan Gannon's coming in with a different approach uh, than Jim Swartz. Swartz would sit in cover one or cover three with the corners off, then run the inverted cover two as a changeup. Then um, where Gannon comes from, the Colts, uh, they ran all sorts of different looks. They're much more multiple. Um, they probably won't blitz any more than they did under under Schwartz, but they're going to mix things up a little bit more. He's got a little bit more of an eclectic view of how to mix up coverages than Schwartz did. The Steelers played a lot of cover three, cover one. Third down, they sit back and play cover three. You think about Pittsburgh as a big blitz unit, but they don't really blitz a lot on third down. They have ranked very low on third down blitz rate, and they instead play with a lot of cover one and cover three. Um, they got no problem heating up the quarterback on early downs. They'll play a lot of cover one without a whole player, and they'll 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 their their blitz rate on early downs is really high. Later, again, not so much. San Francisco. Cover three quarters, blitz and play cover one on third down. D'Amico Ryan's take over takes over for Robert Sala. He worked under Sala. The defense is going to stay relatively the same. Uh, the base is going to be cover three, low blitz rate on early downs. They'll turn up the pressure on passing downs. Uh, they were top 20, lower top 20 uh, early down blitz rate um, and third down last year. Uh, the Seahawks. Um, under Pete Carroll, always going to be cover three. You know, everything that the defensive guys run that have come from that whole tree is is Pete's. They've the cover three, which is a very um, uh, very simple transition from the Tampa two. That's what Pete grew up under. Monty Kiffin, all of that. Um, they are a, a top five cover three usage team every year. Um, but, you know, what they have done is try to blitz a little more, play some cover one, change some things up, because the more you do, and this is a perfect example of this is a philosophy that Pete has, but the ability to change it up a little bit is the key, because once you see it enough, you can figure out how to attack it. You've got to be able to adjust to the adjustments. On early downs, they're in cover three at, you know, about... Uh, a little bit less than they did in 2019, and they kind of increased their cover two look. A lot of those cover three snaps went to cover two, though, which is their second most used coverage, and then cover three for the first time. Now, with Jamal Adams in the fold, 
their third down blitz rate jumped up quite a bit. So their efficiency, though, wasn't as good as there needed to be, but they did it uh, more. Tampa, cover three, blitz, cover one, cover zero, and third downs. Todd Bowles is going to blitz, going to play the bare front, five defensive linemen covering every offensive lineman. That's what they did. So they're going to allocate pressure to stop the run. It was, on early downs, the best run defense on early downs in the league last year. Uh, and you, they play all those heavy run-stop looks. It did well to stop the pass. It was the fourth most efficient pass defense on early downs. On third downs, Bowles will play mostly cover one, but he will mix some things up. Um, he plays some quarters, some quarter-quarter halves, and he'll he'll do a lot of rotations that will will certainly factor in. The Titans, a little change there. A lot of cover one, a lot of cover one uh, with a whole player on third down. Um, Vrabel is... Um, the, is a physical, defensive, focused guy, but the units kind of slipped a little bit. Um, Shane Bowden comes in. He's the de facto coordinator last year. They've got to show improvement over last year. They overhauled their defensive backfield so they can stay in man-heavy defense. Remember, this is what, remember, a lot of what um, Vrabel does, learned under Belichick, but a lot of what Mike is, tough guy, attitude relating to players, but as a scheme guy, not that great. So uh, we'll see if they can get back to being a little bit more effective because he believes and all he knows is playing a lot more man coverage and they've not been as effective doing it. And then finally, um, the Washington, another, another cover three, a lot of cover one. They ran a ton of zone last year. Um they weren't real comfortable when they played man. Um, it was one of the more efficient pass defenses last year. When you play zone and you got an elite defensive line, that's probably the best way to, to, to win on defense. If you've got a defensive line that can hunt, four guys that can control the line of scrimmage and rush the passer, and you can play cover three behind it, cover two, mix of cover one to give different looks, you've got the best of both worlds. Pressure with maximum guys in coverage. Now, we'll see if William Jackson, that signing, will lead to a little bit more man coverage this year. Jackson has been a man-covered guy, so just a sign they're going to play a little bit more man, or still, obviously, you use man principles in zone coverage. Um, but he was one of the top ten um, cover guys in cover one last year. And... You know, they, they were really good. They're really very underrated defense. So that's a look of the defensive um, breakdowns uh, of the scheme. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope that wasn't too technical or boring for you. Um, let me know. Uh, Rich Coach says, what were your scouting evaluation of Larry Allen out of Sonoma State? Larry Allen was a beast. He was a guy that, until we got him into different environments with better players and all-star games and at the Combine, you knew what you had on tape but you didn't know really what you had because he was so dominant. Well, that's what you got to do at a smaller school, dominate. He did. You got to see how it's going to translate to the next level. So once you drill down into him, you see that he was a finisher. He was a guy that just loved to attack and finish. And then he had, um, he didn't have great lateral foot quickness, but 
boy, did he come off with a low flat back and dominate in the run game. And uh, really was really was a, a good player. I thought he'd be really good. He was better than I thought he was going to be. Jerome Woods out of Memphis was a good player. I didn't have a, a real high grade on him. And then Rob Baronis out of Georgia Southern. Well, Rob was, um, I thought, had you know pretty decent explosiveness kicking, but I, you know, I wasn't real, uh, wasn't all that high on him. Folks, appreciate your time. Um, and again, good to uh, be with you here on the Landry Football Podcast. We are, again, going to try to continue this on Thursdays. And as we transition, and we usually try to do some of this stuff during the summer before we get into the football season. But a note, if you haven't, sign up for Landry Football's conference call to get this podcast to you, um, Landry Football Podcast. So if you're listening to this, you pick it up on LandryFootball.com. Uh, or if you're listening to this live, please spread the word. If you don't mind linking this to your Twitter followers, your Facebook followers, what we're doing, we really appreciate it. And then we're going to kind of get settled into a new podcast domain with the folks at Podcast Park, uh, hopefully here in the next few weeks. So we've been busy with a lot of behind-the-scenes work. want to remind you about LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of the scouting season offer. Got all the college breakdowns we're working on. Pretty much close to wrapping up the SEC. Just got three or four schools left. Um, we have um, um, we, we've got uh, the the notebooks every day. Got the NFL previews, draft stuff, recruiting stuff. You name it, we've got it for you. So, uh, lots of good things going on. Have a great rest of the week. Have a great rest of the day. Uh, enjoy it, and we'll talk to you next week on another edition of the Landry Football Podcast um, on uh, Landry Football Conference Call Network. Thank you, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.